mission in the kingdom and what he does makes a difference. Lord, you want peace and security for your people. And Lord, you've called and stirred up people who have a willingness to participate in that. So we, Lord, know he uh, is as much part of what we do here as the sound man, the guitar man, the preacher man. We've got our own security man. And we just pray for your protection over him and his family at this time. And a blessed year to come. And all God's people said? Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank Yes, and uh, we're going to take up our evening offering, those who are going to come and serve. Thank you for your faithful stewardship over these last chaotic years and also for your um, sacrificial living, which has meant that we can continue to preach, preach the gospel with, with the lights on and uh, the water running and expanding to new places. So God bless you as you, as you give. Right. There's some really good coffee here, by the way. Under this shirt, there's a t-shirt that says, I'm only here for the coffee. <laughs> um, we are supporting a man's uh, business. So the coffee's not cheap, but it's very, very good. And thank you for that. Thank you for that reminder. Now, absolutely. I love those who, who, who uh, press in to, to give, who contend for the offering. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Okay, let's do another round. Come, let's just do another round. That was so good. Richard's going to do... Okay. I want to tell you a little bit of a story, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and we're going to wind up, and maybe there'll be some ministry and prayer for people who can benefit from, from this. And it goes something like this, that in the Jewish culture, marriage was a very sacred thing, and there was a process of uh, parents engaging, and then there was chaperoning, and then the man would go away and prepare a place. And she fell madly head over heels with him. He just was brilliant in every sense. He was intelligent. He was good looking. He was charming. Uh, he, was, he was just 100% a man of integrity. I mean, who wouldn't fall in love with this person? And no, I'm not describing Richard. This is another story. And uh, so they, they get married. And she's so excited. The first morning of their, their marriage, he, he says to her, um, my dear, you, you will make breakfast this morning. She says, oh, it's my pleasure. And off she goes and she gets into the kitchen and there's a whole list of how many seconds the egg must be boiled, how many grains of salt must be added, how many ounces of butter on the toast, and she goes about it with all her young, naive enthusiasm, and she prepares a breakfast for royalty, only to find that the way he looks at her, he can, she can sense the disapproval. I don't know if you ever had someone look at you and you know they, 
There's something, something going on. Yeah. Some, sometimes it's like that in church. You go into a church and you just, people are like checking you out. Who you know? And she just gets this uncomfortable feeling and she thinks this is very strange. But anyway, she carries on because he really is perfect. And he does things to the book and he does things 100% correct. But she's starting to feel like there's a bit of a, um, a judgment over her. Like she's not matching up. And eventually, he, it feels like he's kind of drifting away from her. It's like he, you know, he was, he was there at the altar and they got married. And, but it seems like he's now become aloof. And he's, and he's drawn aside and his expectations over her life is to be perfect. The only problem with that is she's not perfect. So she's like, she tries a bit harder, but in this, she's starting to feel an anxiety. Because, you know, when you don't match up and you get that disapproving look, it can like, kind of stir up a bit of rebellion. What? So you don't think I'm perfect? You think I'm better than me? You think you're better than me? I'll show you who's better than who. I know none of you would ever be like that in your lives. But it was kind of this high expectation and high standard was producing the opposite in her. It was producing a feeling of inferiority, a feeling that she doesn't qualify to the high standard that he's got in front of her. And in all of this, she just keeps trying harder and harder. And like the old song says, a sinner condemned unclean. She felt like a sinner condemned unclean. And she's going about her life, and uh, she goes down to Virgin Active Gym, and she's doing her, her workout there, you know, to look better. And, and she, she, sees, she meets this guy there, and he's also working there, and they get talking a little bit. But obviously she can't start a relationship with him because she's married. But he's really, he's, he, he's, a, he, he's also, he's like, he's perfect. His smile, his... His, his deodorant, his personality, his, he just seems like a perfect person. But she's been caught before by these so-called perfect people. So she's keeping her distance. But more and more she senses the way he looks at me is so different. I don't feel judged. I don't feel like I'm disqualified. And she tries to shake it off, but she can't shake it off. Because she's married and then he dies. Now, don't read into that. It's just a st illustration. She's su he, he suddenly dies. No, 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 bad pastor. He, now she's free. And she decides, she, she gets into this marriage because she, she, she's now free to do so. And the same thing happens the next morning. He gets up and he says, I will make breakfast today. You will make breakfast today. I will make breakfast today. Oh, and he goes in and he fulfills it perfectly, the ingredients to the recipe, to the dot. 
He makes it. He brings it. He places. But now, you know, when you've come out of an abusive background, you're waiting for the, the punchline. You're like waiting for the catch. It's like, what do they say? No such thing as a free lunch, eh? Oh, Pastor, I want to have lunch. Yeah, yeah, right. What do you really want? And, but there's no catch. He just, he keeps looking at her with this look of adoration, of acceptance, of worth. And slowly she has to get rid of this old baggage of feeling trampled underfoot and feeling disqualified and feeling unloved to the point where she now melts into a relationship where she feels, this is what I was made for. She has her moments where she backs off and she, no, it's too good to be true. You know, what do they say if it's too good to be true? But it just, this is such a good news feeling. Where I'm situated right now, the acceptance I'm feeling, the, the, I'm not feeling shameful about things. It's, it's like I know I'm still not perfect, but his perfection is making up for it. And somehow his perfection has now covered me, and people don't even see me anymore. They just see him enveloping and covering and encompassing, whatever that word is, about me. And something changes. She becomes more fulfilled. She becomes more secure. And she becomes more fruitful. Let's look at one or two passages. I think they're going to come up here. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. So he's speaking to people who know the law. So I take it that we would have to explain that a bit because not all of us understand the law, but the law was put in place uh, to keep the Israelites in the covenants of God because before the law, God made a covenant with Abraham. If you're at church, we've been going through the books of Galatians in the morning, and in Galatians we see that the law was given as a thermometer to show us our need for uh, uh, medication, our need for repair, our need for healing. But the law itself couldn't heal us any more than a thermometer can bring our temperature down. The law was put there as a riverbank to guide us into place. It gave the prognosis. We were sick, sinful, sinners, condemned, unclean, but it couldn't do anything to fix us up or change us. And God puts the law in, not because he's angry with them, but because he knows it's the best he can do in the midst of a heathen, uh, corrupt, and promiscuous world of nations sacrificing their babies and and doing awful things. He at least gives them something that they can measure against. And because he knows they're not going to be able to keep it, he gives them the priesthood and the sacrifices as a promissory, promissory, promissory note, a promissory institution. So they see their failings through the law, but through the sacrifice and the priest system, they are kept in relationship with God. That's how the Old Testament worked. Simple as that. God makes covenants. Eventually, they don't think the Abrahamic covenant is good enough for them. He gives them the law. They say, we'll do whatever God tells us to do. Right, you're ready for the law. 
They get into the law. The law doesn't do its job, which was supposed to lead them to their need of a savior that the blood of the lamb was pointing towards. They end up at a place where they feel self-righteous. The very opposite of what the law was intended to do. They feel self-righteous. God sends Christ. Jesus comes and he just turns the wagon upside down. I liked Mark's phrase this morning. Stole their lunch and popped the bag. I don't know where he got that from. <laughs> it's just a grotesque picture, hey? Like a little bratty kid like a, comes and takes your lunch, eats your sandwich, and then boom, pops your bag. <laughs> he just unsettled the religious cart. Every day he got up. I'm going to go disturb some Pharisees and Sadducees and wouldn't sees and couldn't sees and haven't seen. And... Because they thought righteousness was something they had to do for God. And they missed the whole point. That righteousness is something God does for us. He goes on. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to a husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So the good news. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So the inferior covenant compared with the superior covenant. Sorry, I'll click along here. And now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit. Say new way. You see, there's a new way to serve now, and it's the way of the Spirit. And not in the old way of the written code. What was the written code? You see, religious, religion's purpose was, is, was and is to try and improve us. The Jews saw the law as a way to improve instead of letting it do its work in them, keeping them at God's mercy and grace. All other religions, even many Christian religions, think that their main task is to improve you by giving you a whole list of things to do. It's the same principle. For the Jews, it was the law. For, other, for us, it's a list of things to do. If we do these things and jump through these hoops, then we are improving ourselves. Now, God's got nothing against us improving. But that's not the righteousness he's looking for. He's not looking to improve you. He's looking to replace you. He's got a whole new operating system in store, in mind for you, that is the same way Jesus is looking for a bride. He wants a bride that's equally yoked. He's not looking for an inferior bride. He's, not, he's looking for a bride of that spot and wrinkle. And that bride of that spot and wrinkle isn't because she jumped through the hoops of this religious group's criteria of how to improve, how to self-improve. He's looking for a bride that is spotless and without wrinkle. 
How holy is Jesus? How holy do we have to be? You see, holiness over here is never attainable. There's always a distance. I try but harder to get closer. But then I'm made aware of my weakness. The law exposes my sin. The law makes me feel inferior. The law makes me feel these lists and rules I make. Every new year comes around and a whole lot of new resolutions. All they do is point out the fact that I just can't get to this point. It's like I've got a rubber band around me and it just keeps pulling me back all the time. So Jesus comes and he's got a much better idea. He says, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die and be buried. You're going to have to rise again, and you're going to have to be ascended and co-seated with me in heavenly places. That, my friend, is the gospel. Holiness isn't what we do for God. It's what he does for us when he puts us in Jesus through death, burial, and resurrection. This gospel thing is much bigger than an altar call that says, come and give your life to Jesus. This gospel thing is about you died. God is, is, is not wanting to improve you. He's wanting to kill you. And then he's wanting to completely replace you. And he's not looking for bad people to become good people. He's looking for dead people to become alive people. The gospel isn't just, well, you know, I think... I need to invite Jesus into my life. Really? What about God of creation who steps into time and invites you into his life and seats you in heavenly places? I mean, what kind of invitation is that? What? You want to invite him into your life? You know? Well, I was a very bad person. I believe on Jesus. Now I've invited him into my life. And now he's changing me. And, uh, you know, I reached out to him. And, you know, I'm trying my best. I'm not there yet. You know, we're all sinners. We're all trying to be good Christians. And, you know, we're going to get there. You're on the wrong trajectory. Christianity is about death, burial, and resurrection. And like I said at A.B., bless his soul, our departed A.B., who's gone to be with the Lord, some of you know. As I said yesterday at the funeral, God is much bigger than we've ever imagined. And when that penny drops, that it's not about me trying to match up to whatever this criteria is, but about me surrendering and knowing that he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When I begin to get a different picture between me trying to get somewhere and me being seated in Jesus, I wake up in the morning and I know his perfect life was the perfect life you living. No, pastor, that's no. Can't, no, no please, I rather, I rather want, I want this Christianity again. Please, no, this is weird. This, now, what are you talking about now? The perfect life Jesus lived is credited to your bank account. You wake up in the morning and you go, thank God I don't have to do anything to earn righteousness. But you earned it for me by living the perfect life, dying the perfect life, being resurrected and ascended. And I was, according to Scripture, 
buried with you through baptism. I was put in the grave. I was raised to new life. And now in Ephesians says, I'm seated in Christ in heavenly places. Let's carry on. There's some more, there's some more verse here. Describing the predicament of the old marriage, or the old covenant, the law covenant. He goes on and says in verse 21, So I found this law at work. When I want to do good, sorry, let me just, I got ahead of myself a bit. Evil is right there with me. Now we assume he's talking about normal Christianity. Paul is talking about when he was trying to serve God here. Evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, because the law is good. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law in my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man am I? Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes on and he gives the answer in the next verse. I'm going to have to get used to this. Thing. Oh, it didn't come up. What a wretched man. Who am I? Who will deliver me? It's supposed to go on. It does go on. Not supposed to. It goes on and says, Thanks be to God. Say thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, I myself in my mind am a slave to the law, but because of human nature, I'm, I fall into the law of sin and death. And chapter 8 starts off with, now there's no condemnation. Straight off the bat, now there is no, I'm a slave to the law of sin. And the very next verse goes into, there's now no condemnation. You see, being, trying to serve God in that marriage is hard work. And you never match up. And we tried and we tried. And we failed and we failed. And just before we gave up, we found out that what we were trying to do has already been done. And if you, if you take the, the word new creation, it's an interesting, the, the Greek word new, there's, there's two different words there. The one is new of something that already exists. In other words, I don't like this old pulpit, let's get a new one. It's just a new of the same. But if I say, that's the word neos. But the word kainos is what God, when he created the universe, there was nothing there to imitate or, or uh, copy. So he, kainos is a new creation. It's, it's something that hasn't existed before. It's a brand new creation. No, not a copy. When we are called a new creation, our new birth determines our identity. Over here we got born in first Adam and we try to serve God according to whatever our religion was. Over here we have to be born again. And we become a kainos creation. It's a brand new species of being that didn't exist before. It's not just someone trying harder to be good. It's someone who's been completely remade as a new creation because now we are in Christ Jesus. We're not part of a church. We, are, we were separate. 
We were trying to get to him. We got inside, and we inside. And now, when you look at you, you see Mr. Apple. A fish is a fish if it's in the water, it's a fish. If it's in the dam, it's a fish. If it's in the sea, it's a fish. On the end of your fishing rod, it's a, a dead fish. A fish, a supper, supper. But it's a fish. A fish is a fish. doesn't matter what environment it's in. You are a new creation. Your environment doesn't change who you are now. You can't even... Go here. I mean, you can in your, in your mind. The mind that's unrenewed can still play this game. And all the preaching of the gospel is, is you don't have to live like that anymore. Because here, you're going to bear fruit for God. There's fruit waiting to break out. That's why over here it's called, in Galatians 5, it's called the acts of the flesh, the, the sinful acts of the flesh. Here it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because there you're producing X, here you're producing fruit, because you are a new creation. And wherever you go, you're a fish. If you're at the workplace, you're a new kind of creation. If you're at church on Sunday night, and I'm glad you came over, because I had to preach this message and remind myself about all these good things. The preacher gets the most benefit, eh? But I hope it's helping us. Even though Many of us have heard these things. You know why Paul says it's no problem for me to repeat? Because we have got stubborn, a stubborn nature that wants to go back there instead of resting and being at peace over here. A few minutes for the musicians to come up. Robbie, are you ready to, to play? Are we doing a CD tonight? Uh, we want to just allow for a little bit of time just for, just for prayer now because, you know, the Bible says that these signs will follow the word. So maybe something has stood out. Maybe something has tweaked you. Maybe something has challenged you and you've got a question. Write it down. But uh, just something soft. Let's just have a few minutes of prayer. We, we don't actually need uh, a lot of music for that. We just need... Um, just uh, an environment where it's not even half past six, man. Come on. We still got an hour to go. Awesome. <clears throat> let's, uh, <laughs> let's stand up or sit if you're more comfortable sitting. Stand, sit, kneel, lie down. Let's just make ourselves uh, most comfortable for a time of just the ministry of the word, the signs of, of guilt-free, victorious living, signs of maybe some people have come out of abusive mar- relationships and marriages and, and maybe there is some baggage to be dealt with there. This is the best medicine for whatever abuse you've been through. Finding yourself in Christ, having His works attributed to your life is God's recipe for healing. So right now, if that's you, or if you, like the prophetic word said earlier, facing a business challenge, 
and you, God, what am I, what's my next step? Where am I, is it left or right? Or, and you're striving here. Why don't you just do what the scripture says and rest? Find your rest in Christ. Find a place where you just go, Lord, you've got this. You've got this so I can let it go. And just see yourself just letting it go. And just When I'm in you, I'm in the majority. And if you'd like what the Bible calls the laying on of hands, which is just, we don't have to hear the whole story. That's a different, that's counseling. You go see somebody. But sometimes just having hands imparting. And if you're comfortable with that, then just come out, stand in the front, and someone's going to come and just minister, lay their hands, and ask just for an impartation of wisdom, of boldness, of health, of vision, of restoration. So that's you. Don't wait till someone else comes. You come right now. Just come right now. Come and stand in the front. And the rest of us are just going to let go and let God. Let go and let God. Thank you, Lord.